This podcast is brought to you by the Amateurs Fantasy Sports Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the NRL Fantasy Amateurs Podcast. It is Mark here with Ryan and Rob and boys, we are done with the team-by-team analysis and we are into the nitty-gritty. We have football this weekend, which is just like super exciting, Uh, but we're, you know, T-minus a month until kickoff so it's uh it's wheels up boys and we're we're into the good stuff now ryan scale of one to ten how excited are you oh mate i'm still trying to figure out my time zones when does the game kick off what time is the local time oh mate this mm. vegas is throwing me through a loop but luckily we've got three weeks to figure it out and we've got some, <laughs> some trials to get through as well so. yeah <laughs> yeah, and, and hopefully these players can get their uh, get their visas sorted as well. I see Payne Haas has been, you know, given the tick off, but uh, Reese Reese Walsh maybe is is got to, you know, go and and give the uh, the customary uh, under the uh, under the table, you know, big bag of paper to get into the uh, get into the country to, to be able to play. It all um, just seems like a massive beat up, eh? I think they're all going to get in yeah. and it's all going to be oh, 100%. without a hitch. It's uh, it's just annoying. Yeah. But we've got no footy, so we've got to buy into these stupid stories. Yeah, mate, if there's one thing I know, it's that PVL will be able to get something done, mate. That man can oh, do anything. Of course he will. He, he had us play in a contact sport like three months after everybody was like dying with COVID and everybody was like cooped up in their house and there was footy on. So, oh, you know, the little Warriors thing- leave their newborn <laughs> children to, to play footy and... Um, yeah, you know, Western Australia. I still remember when the biggest story of the week was uh, James Roberts being in trouble for going on a hotel balcony. Those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> a little, uh, yeah, a little, um, <laughs> a little thing like customs isn't going to stop PVL from getting his uh, Foxtel revenue. That's for sure. Uh, but uh, boys, we are going to do. Uh, a, a, a big change of pace, I guess, from what we have been doing. We're going to do some game theory tonight or today, depending on when you're listening to it. Um, so for those of you that are sort of maybe newer or, you know, we, we'll, we'll try to make it as uh, available to as many of the audiences as possible. But, you know, the thing with game theory is it's not something that's only for new players. And I think a lot of people, uh, like we, we really sort of uh, had a change in in strategy last year with the buys coming in, like, you know, the major minor buys and the individual team buys. And that really sort of split the head to head and fantasy coaches and, and made people really think about their trades. And Ryan, we were talking off air, you were sort of saying uh, one of the things that you think that sets you apart is your ability to manage your trades and your teams through the year. And I mean, you know, just off, off the cuff, is there a, a sort of a main piece of advice that you would give to, both new and you know veteran fantasy coaches on on where you think your uh you know your advantages there without giving too much away <laughs> yeah trying to keep a secret or two to myself no um i think the first one that springs instantly to my mind in regards to like trades is is don't panic um i, I specifically remember last year 
when Nathan Cleary was going into his bye in round three, everyone was panicking. He was like one of the most sole players because he started off the because he'd just come off a 37 in round two. And we were pretty big proponents. And like I was putting up a lot of content as well about hold Nathan Cleary, don't sell him. Like you're going to want that trade come the back end of the year. And like immediately after that, he went on that absolute tear. He put up like 78, 80, 100 in his next three games. And like I, I remember pointing to like other times he'd had one low score and then went on a tear for the next few weeks. So I think um, don't panicking, not panicking, especially with guys like Nathan Cleary, like proven guns. Um, you know, you're going to want those trades at the end of the year. It's a long season, so don't panic early. Yeah, I know for me uh, with regards to that, I can definitely sort of, you know, because obviously I went pretty hard at the overall last year and I found myself come sort of round 24 with like one or two trades left and I was really just saving it for um, saving it for injuries because I had sort of used up all my luxury trades and I mean, just looking at the uh, the rank graph and this is just courtesy of um, Rugby League Fantasy Pro's website. You know, you look at round 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, I was kind of sitting in that 200 rank and then I sort of went, oh, shit, i got to save some trades went down to 300, 400, 500, 750, you know, because I sort of ran out of trades at the end. And my last round, round 27, my round rank was 78,000 or something like that, which really sort of kicked my my final score. And, like, my total points was, like, 600 or something like that, which was just horrendous because I didn't have that one, tra- one or two trades left up my sleeve to be able to do the opposite when all those other people we're struggling and, and take advantage of that. So that's a really good tip. And I guess, Rob, same question to you, mate. Um, I guess your strength is um, just copying Ryan's team. Is that? <laughs> well, I think my one of my weaknesses, which I'm sure we'll come to, was was not really knowing whether I was a head-to-head or overall team. I ended up doing really well in overall. Um, I think I got 150th or so um, in the end, yeah. which was good but it was because i saved trades i had like i made i think I, I had two trades left at the end basically um and it meant that i could trade out some guys that weren't playing um and it just meant that i could hold rank or do slightly better than i thought i could which was great but i think strength wise is that what you asked? Did you ask strength or did you ask tips? Yeah. Like hot tips. No, before? what's, what's yeah. your, what's your, what would you say is your strength and, and what, what tip would you then uh, give to I think a I'm new pretty or... good at conserving trades, probably to the extent where I'm not as um, aggressive as I could have been earlier in the year, but I definitely didn't panic on people like Cleary, which was helpful. Um, I don't think I made a trade till like round four. Um, so I kind of just started <laughs> off, I started off just like, playing it with a straight bat and not like panic trading out any of those guys because you pick these guys for a reason, right? And sometimes there are obvious pickups. Like I think Jake Preston was one who we got on, who I think I got on a week late, but was someone that you could get on early. But like you've got these guys, let them make money. If they're making money, let them make money. And I think a tip to people is – Cash generation is really, really key at the start of the season because you've got basically the goal of fantasy is making your one to eight on your bench make enough money so that you can upgrade your one to thirteen, and so your your bench need your bench and your emergencies need to be making you money, 
and doing work so that you can upgrade the players in your one to 13. And I think once I started to think about that rather than, you know, it doesn't matter if you've got a guy that's like, you know, limping along or that's not playing, if they're not playing and they're not making you money, then it's, it's really going to hurt you um, in the long run. So I think it's that, it's that early cash generation and getting those slam dunk guys like um, Bryce Cartwright, like Trindle last year, um, I think Hosking was pretty good in the end as well. I didn't start with him, but there were lots of kind of guys like that where they're going to make you an easy, easy cash. They might not be the sexiest plays, but they're going to make you that cash that you need to upgrade elsewhere. And I think that's the key to start the mm-hmm. season is to get the people that will make you cash because that cash you're going to need. And it's harder to make cash during the year. I find like sometimes you do get the slam dunk, um, rookies that come in or that someone's way underpriced but the easiest time to make cash is the start of the year for sure like you look at your squad value i was just looking at the same thing that ryan was looking at and like your squad value goes well mine went from 10 million to 12.5 million in seven weeks right like you're never getting that kind of growth elsewhere in the season so you've got to pick pick your value guys and pick your um, cash cows and i'm sure we'll talk about what those mean a bit later but it's picking guys that you think can make you a substantial amount of cash or are under undervalued keepers that you don't want to have to trade unless they get hurt yeah exactly right and i mean obviously there's some some game theory principles that we're going to go through which sort of touch a lot on what you guys have sort of just just gone through and i think we we said this podcast was going to be 45 minutes i'm now just having a bit of a laugh at that because this seems more like a two-hour one than a 45 minute moment we'll see how we go um how long have you got so yeah, so before we get stuck in, and now you've you spent nine minutes listening to the good stuff. I've just we spent like ten minutes before the show talking about all the things we needed to talk about. I realized we didn't do any of it. <laughs> so I need to I need to stop what you're doing. You guys need to stop what you're doing, and it, we need you to do a couple of things. So the first thing that you need to do is you need to go and join the amateurs overall league and this will give you a really good idea as to how you're going against other top teams because what you'll find is if you're a member of this league, you'll find that you'll be like 500th or something overall, and you'll be coming 300 to the now league. So what you'll you'll somehow be coming is... 600th in our league, like inexplicably, <laughs> yeah. incredibly good it's, our league always. It's 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 the extra 100 play 100 teams that Chappie's got that are just ahead of you. So <laughs> that's it. Nice, no, yeah, inside joke. But um, no, it's definitely uh, yeah. So so jump in there. So you you'll have a really clear idea about how you're traveling against the top teams. We routinely find. You know, we'll have fifty percent of the top hundred teams in our in our league. It'll be a really clear idea how you're going. So the league I'm pin gonna, for um, that. Oh what? yeah, you do it. Oh, yeah, sorry, oh, I, I need, I need to type in the league pin. I'm I'm not in the league yet. What's the pin, Mark? Fire yeah. it at me. All right, you go, Mark. All right. So it's the number seven. Yep. And and for Nelly, yep. number three. T for Tommy Turbo. The number two. Y for why are you not in our league yet? <laughs> but with a Y. Yeah, but with a. Y. With a Y. Why? Why? Pete P, P, P for Peter and Z for Zebra. That's it. All right. So seven, seven N seven for Nelly, three. three, T for Tommy Turbo, two, Y for Yes, P for Peter, Z for Zulu. Joy. Yeah. I mean, I mean, good job. Yeah. Jump in, get in there. Uh, we'll do that. I actually, a uh, quick shout out to Supercoach Rings. I have been really, really naughty. I've been talking to him, and he's mailed me a, like, championship ring 
for the team that comes first that I've got to give out. I've actually still got the 2023 one, which I need to give out to whoever was in the league that won our league last year. I just think I'm just going to wear it around, pretend like I won, even though I actually didn't. But this thing is like bling 9,000. And if you're wanting to like pimp your league, I think they're like 50 bucks or something like that. But it looks awesome. Um, it, unfortunately for me, I've got little girl hands as well. So it sort of fits on my thumb. So you got to, um, yeah, have someone with big hands win it. Uh, Ryan, you might fit it on like your pink, pinky toe or something like that, maybe. <laughs> so, yeah, no, we'll see. How we go. It's but it's great. It's good stuff. Um, I'll I'll uh, I'll put it on the website. I'll put the uh, the link there to go and and pimp your league up with a uh, a nice super coach ring. And um, if you if you're really really happy with the content, by the way, uh, obviously uh, sports.com slash NRL, you can find articles about all the stuff that we're about to talk about that I put my blood, sweat, and tears into writing. Rob, Ryan, and a number of other interns as well, they've, you know, spent hours upon hours. I, I'm not joking when I say there is hundreds of hours of information on this website. Uh, we do projections for every single player on every single team. We've ordered it a 100 times using a bunch of different stuff, it, you know, naturally, because we're trying to predict the future, it's going to be not perfect, but it's going to be really, you know, you know, some good stuff there. You'll get your obvious buys, um, and and if you're interested, you love like what you see, then you can buy us a beer there. And there's a little link there at um, www.buymeacoffee.com/slash/fantasyamateurs. Uh, it's like five bucks to buy us a beer for all the hard work that we do. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I, if I earned what I earned doing this at my real job, I'd quit and be on the dole, but we love it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, just, if you want to, want to support the show, that's how you do it. So yeah, jump in. Um, also, if you like a punt, we've got a little, uh, partnership going there with Picklebet. You sign up for Picklebet, um, just put the code amateurs in and like the promo code thing. Um, so it lets them know that you've come from there. Um, we might sneak in some, uh, some some tips closer to the season, but uh, yeah, we're gonna get your pickle bet uh, account up and ready, and uh, yeah, roll on, do that responsibly, obviously. Uh, I'm is just scrolling. Is that all stuff? I think so. I'm <laughs> I'm just scrolling through uh, some of the team names in our overall league, and uh, there's someone who's got a picture of Tyson Gamble as their picture, and it's, uh, Have a Gamble is the name of their team. Yeah, nice. So like it's, uh, uh, there's there's some good ones here. Corn on the Cobo. I like that one. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Nice. They, Bacon they, they, back. They, yeah. Oh, Bacon Lord. Lord. Bacon Lord. Yeah. He's Good back. man. Yeah. I haven't seen him in the DMs yet, probably because there's no trades to be done. But, well, I'm sure <laughs> we'll see him soon enough on the Insta DMs. Who was our boy? Sifa? Sifa? Oh, Sifa. Yeah, Sifa. Big fan of the show. Sifa Lord. Yeah. Yeah. No, not Sifa Lord. He doesn't reach that status yet. All right, boys. We're on to it. All right. So we've got two different game theory articles that we posted on the website. So one of them is... Literally called Pods Are Overrated NRL Fantasy Game Theory 2024. And the other one's called Team Construction and In-Depth Look. So we're going to sort of mush these articles together, give you a bit of an idea what they're about. If you want more information, um, you know, because you prefer to read it rather than listen to it, it's all available there. Um, sports.com slash NRL, and you'll find them right at the top. So... Um, basically what game theory is in its shortest amount of words is like the proper way to play the game. So the strategy behind what you're doing, you know, a lot of, 
you know, the jargon that comes along with, with stuff, you know, if you're on a NRL fantasy talk or something like that, that, you know, you see a lot of teams with players that maybe are good for NRL, but they're not good for fantasy or, you know, they're um, maybe it's, uh, you know, team like players are like, they look flashy, but there's, you know, don't fit. So what we do is we try to boil it down to uh, like a formulaic approach where you can apply a, criteria to a selection so you know just like you know anything else you're you know trying to pick you you want to have you know what makes something good or bad what you know what's the reason why you're doing your thing you're doing and and that was a big focus for us when we started the amateurs was giving you know the the old uh teach a man to fish instead of giving a man a fish is is what sort of what what we're going for so we're going to talk a lot about um you know criteria and you know, minimum thresholds for things and stuff like that. Um, you know, don't get scared off by the, the wording. It's just basically like, you know, when you're trying to pick a player, what do you, how do you go about doing that? And, you know, I can tell you there are people who come in the top 100 overall routinely who forget some of these things. Uh, I do it. I forget it all the time. You know, I don't come in the top 100 because I'm not very good, but Ryan comes in the top 100. He's really good. Um, so, you know, we try to apply this, uh, criteria and learn lessons and, you know, keep improving our process and and trying to get better. So, uh, with that, Ryan, um, what we actually did and what I sort of went through and had a bit of a look at and where I want to start is with the top five finishing teams from last year. So there's a couple of reasons why I want to start there. And Ryan, uh, you're a uh, what did you come twenty twenty second was your was your best finish? Yeah, I think twenty second in twenty twenty, and then uh, Lucy was up there last year as well. I think she was around top one hundred to the area. Yeah, no, good stuff. So we're going to get inside your your mind a little bit in the mind of the top five finishing teams. Shout out to Brenton who came like seventh or eighth. We don't want to get inside his mind. He's a loser. He didn't come in the top five. So so. <laughs> You know, if you ain't if you ain't first, you're last, Ricky Bobby. No, I'm just kidding, Brenton. I love you, bro. You do you do a great doing great work. Um, so uh, what I basically wanted to have a look at uh, with this article that I put up is to go inside the mind of a top five finishing player and have a look at you know what type of players they selected, you know how they sort of manage their team and what players they had in common, what players they didn't have in common. Um, and so obviously this is going to be, you know, relevant for people that played last year are probably going to remember like how these plays performed. But even as a new player, we'll talk about some, some criteria based stuff here. So out of the 21 players that you start with, there was only nine players that all five shared in common, which is actually really interesting, Rob, for me, because, you know, like we, we had a, a off-air discussion that was sort of raised by our um, good friend of the show, Mr. Justin Turner, a.k.a. Juzzy, uh, who uh, sort of raised a concern that our podcast and, and others like it maybe uh, incline people to pick same teams. So, you know, does it surprise you that there was only nine players that were in every single team in, that came in the top five or is that sort of in line with what you would have thought? Yeah, it was quite surprising. I think, let me just go down to who they were, but it's it's almost not, and I guess the point that, yeah, Juzzy was making was 
everyone's team looks the same. And look, that might be true over the course of various points in the season. But what we were kind of saying off air was that it's really important when you get those guys in as well, because starting with them versus buying them in later, it's costing you a trade then. And then you'll also might have to trade them out. So it's costing you two trades. So it's, it's making sure you get the slam dunks is key. And look, a lot of the top teams and a lot of our teams are probably going to look quite similar because we probably will fall victim to the echo chamber that is the amateurs and some of the other um, podcasts that go around. But it's when you get guys as opposed to that you have them or that your team looks the same because yeah, really, really that is the important thing is because that, that 80 K that you might lose between week two and week three is massive for what the rest of your team's going to look like. So I think the key piece to take away from that conversation is almost don't worry about what other teams look like. Don't like chase the cash and chase the points. Look at your team um, at what it is in that particular point. Why are you making the trade? Do you need to make that trade? Will you will you regret it later in the season? Because bringing someone in after round one is going to cost you two trades if they're not a keeper. And that's two trades less that you have for the rest of the season. So if you're willing to do that, happy days. But if you're not, just let it go. There's lots of players you can let go. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, and it's a hard thing, Ryan, to try to identify the players that are like necessary selections versus optional selections. And, you know, like the reason why I sort of bring this up is, is I was like, you know, desperate to get Zach Hosking into my team and both of you didn't pick him up. He was awesome. And as Rob says, not necessary to finishing highly as much as he would have been a help. Yeah, for certain. And like sometimes there are just slam, like there, there are ones like that you just have to let roll down the river because it doesn't make sense for you at that time to buy them. Um, you know, and Hosking in the end didn't really end up punishing us too much. Like he made 150K and put up some decent scores for a couple of weeks, which is, you can get that from a lot of different players. So it, it, it wasn't the real backbreaker in the end, but um, don't you, you don't have to force trades. Uh, like I think Rob and I were both in a situation where we didn't really have any trades we could that logically made sense that week we all all of our guys were still making money all of our keepers were still chugging along um sometimes timing just doesn't marry up like that so you you don't need to force them um and and like some there are some weeks as well where there aren't guys like that right like there there isn't an obvious cash cow of the week but then people are desperate to get a cash cow that week and then all of a sudden it's a little bit like mirage season we're in at the moment where Mm. you're searching for that oasis um sometimes there's a guy where people convince themselves he's a cash cow and like sometimes we've done that like the two that yeah well the two that instantly sprang to mind last year toby couchman and jacob host um and both turned out to be pretty bad (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, because because we were just in desperate need of a cash cow, and it was just a week where there wasn't one. So I think uh, maybe that's one of the lessons I learned last year is uh, you don't force something that's not there. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, obviously, just you know, starting at the start and, and mid season trades is its own sort of its own sort of topic. Starting at the start, uh, there's some sort of common themes here. So the nine players that these players had in common: Payne Haas, Jermaine Hopgood, Eliasa Katoa. Tanner Boyd, Lockie Miller, Paul Alamotti, Brandon Smith, 
Will Warbrick and Bryce Cartwright. They're the nine players that everybody had in common. So they sort of fit into five areas. So we had the two outside back cash cows, which almost everybody started with because they were just sort of straight up and down, Will Warbrick and Paul Alamotti. And I guess it's probably a lesson for, you know, us this year. You know, there's people are concerned about the Raiders outside backs, you KO Weeks, Chevy Stewart, Nick Chotrich, these sorts of guys who are really, really cheap. But if they get the role that, that we're hoping or expecting them to get, you know, you sort of just need to need to sort of take that as the, you know, the outside back that everybody else has got that's super-duper cheap. So that's that's one of the categories. The high upside cash cow, Bryce Cartwright. Uh, obviously, he was one. The only thing that stopped people getting Bryce Cartwright was player goggles last year. Is that a fair statement, boys? Yeah, I, I think we were all we were all very hot on him last year, and we were shouting his name from the rooftop. I think. Yeah. So obviously, so what I mean by player goggles for those, Rob, maybe do you want to did you want to cover off on player goggles? I think because I I had this exact conversation with a good friend of mine because he's not. Bryce Cartwright famously has not been, you know, a very well. He he has actually been quite a good fantasy player, but he is a very frustrating NRL player because he's not like what you would say, like a like a good player, right? Like to watch necessarily. Like he'll make some boneheaded moves, and he he won't necessarily be the guy that wins you games on the inner in the inner in the NRL sense, but in a fantasy sense. He was priced at what two fifty k, and he was starting on the back row and playing eighty minutes. And we've looked at, and we looked at his stats, and we saw that there was like you know fifteen to twenty points possibly or underpriced. And it it doesn't take much for an eighty minute back rower to make like to get high thirties, and that's all we expected from him. And then he started scoring bloody tries. So we were it was just an absolute fill up because. He made all this additional money, but really, worst case scenario, he would have made us 150k. It just well, so happened I, he made us 300. So yeah, well, I think the only reason really people avoided him, I think this is what Mark was trying to get at. The only reason some people avoided him was because his name was Bryce Cartwright. If you saw a 250k edge um, available sitting there for you that you were fairly confident was going to play 60 minutes each week, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, it happens all the time. You know, people did it with, uh, you know, like uh, this is going back a, a, a ways now, but, the you know, the James Maloney, which sort of got got me my uh, <laughs> start in terms of people actually bothering to listen when I talked about fantasy was, uh, you know, when James Maloney and Nathan Cleary were pa- partnering each other at the Panthers and James Maloney was averaging like 17 points a game because he used to miss 10 tackles a week. Um, and then Nathan Cleary got injured and James Maloney took on 100% of the goal kicking and play kicking because he was partnering Matt Moylan instead or something like that. Um, you know, and no amount of me screaming James Maloney's name at people could get him to listen until he started averaging 50 after averaging 10 because he was kicking the ball and doing all the goal kicking. You know, and everyone went, oh, James Maloney, yeah. he sucks. He's like, yeah, he does suck for fantasy except when he's doing all the work and then he doesn't start. So, so. I've, I've got it here for you. 2018, um, Nathan, uh, James Maloney with Nathan Cleary averaged 22 and a half with a nice minus four in there in round one. Without nice. Nathan Cleary, he averaged 50.3 and that's under the old scoring as well. So probably a little yeah. less under today's scoring, but still that's a huge swing. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's what can stop people from, from really, you know, ex- receiving fantasy success is, 
using player goggles and and sort of getting blinded by players' names that they don't like. And, and I mean, obviously I uh, actively was fading Nathan Cleary for a while, which, you know, failed for me every single time I tried to do it. So, um, you know, and it's not that I don't like him. I actually think he's he's going to end up being the best player ever to play NRL, um, you know, that we've seen so far. I don't know what's coming, but, you know, obviously more to the point is, you know, just, you know, like trying to be different or whatever or trying to do this. It's like, no, just take the obvious high upside don't have player goggles on, you know, just, you know, if, 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 he, if it's straight up and down, just keep going with that. And player goggles can also happen with guys who burned you last year, and this sort of leads into the next one, which is every single one of them started with Brandon Smith, who was an unmitigated disaster to start the year. Uh, you know, obviously hit uh, the, the rib injuries and, you know, all sorts of stuff. He was just absolutely horrendous. But every single player in the top five started with him. And that actually comes back to a game theory principle that we'll touch on later around why pods are overrated. So we might like save that one, for, but just just know that you can make a pick that's just a horrendous pick, but if everybody else starts with them because they're so highly owned and they look so obvious and then they still fail, that's okay. So, you know, you don't need to, you know, it's not like your season's over if you make one bad selection, as long as it's a high ownership selection. If you make a pod selection that sucks, and nobody else has got them, then obviously it hurts you a lot more. Now, the other one is taking the the high upside, high ownership, mid-range players. So Jermaine Hopgood, obviously absolute stud, went from 500K to 850K and just was an absolute weapon, was a captaincy option for a number of people, particularly in games of clear it in play. Tanner Boyd, obviously, was a bit... Oh, b- boring vanilla ice cream, but he did his job. He got to 46 or something average and was really, really good. Um, Eli Katoa was obviously, despite the fact that he couldn't score a try to save himself after being a gun try scorer, obviously made a bunch of money. And uh, Lockie Miller ended up losing his job to Kalen Ponga, but not before he didn't make us a huge amount of money in the meantime. So obviously there's a lot of options like that this year. Yeah, you know, Ryan off the top of my head, your Jaden Campbells, Ryan Pappenhausen's, Josh Curran's of the world. Um, you know, it's high ownership, high upside, wheels up. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it, it, it's guys where you sort of can't afford to be on the losing end of them. Um, and, you know, like sometimes if you, if you want to pivot, it can work out for you. Like uh, that's kind of how Lucy's side got so far ahead last year was um, it didn't really start as an overall side. It just sort of started as a, uh, I'm going to take a few risks with this team and see what happens. And she didn't start with Brandon Smith and she didn't start with Nathan Cleary and then bought Cleary in round four after he dropped like 120K and put up a couple of bad scores. So sometimes that that can work out for you, but uh, it's it's really a risk that's unnecessary, like looking at uh, this uh, the, the, the list of players that the, the top five started with last year. It ended up not hurting them really, did it? No, not at all. So, yeah, obviously, so here we are. Um, there's one more player that I want to cover off on, and this is really important because he's in 45% of teams. Straight up and down outside backs, high ownership. High upside cash cows, high ownership. High upside mid-rangers, high ownership. You're probably getting a common theme there. <laughs> Doesn't matter if they fail. Everybody else has got them. They're high upside. They're high ownership. You're going to hit more often than not. Group think happens for a reason. It's because lots of good players like them. That's why they end up in lots of teams. You know, shit happens, but, you know, sometimes you just got to roll with the the pack there. Now, the last one I got here, boys, is Payne Haas. 
He was in every single team. And I think people are confused about the reason why he was such a valuable asset last year. Obviously, he scored really, really well. Average 64, which was the third highest average for the year. But part of the reason why he was so valuable is he started at like a 55 average or something like that as a price. Like he wasn't, he was like 700 and something. He wasn't 900 last year. That's the thing is he was coming off his career worst scoring since his rookie year. Like he was poor in 2022 when the Broncos sort of fell off a cliff and he was dealing with the ankle injuries and stuff. And people picked him up as an elite gun at a discount who bounced back. And that's really important because that is not what people are buying this year with Payne Haas. The reason that they're using for buying Payne Haas is, you know, a solid VC option, you know, but, you know, as Rob, as you were saying, it's early seasons about making value. You've got your million dollar Cleary or Hines that you put in the, the captaincy on. You can get a similar score out of, Ruben Cotter than you can out of Payne Haas on a number of weeks. Sometimes you won't get it, but for the sake of a one-week 20-point swing, that 30, like 300K is is a, is a big difference. So, I mean, are you on Team Payne Haas? You're not on Team Payne Haas? And, you know, how do you feel about that dot point specifically? Yeah, I th- so I think he was 809K last year. I was just having a look because I did start with him last year, um, and he's 800. 80 this year so what's that another yeah four or five points i guess um i think i think a reason why maybe it's not the reason why but i think a reason why a lot of people are starting with haas is because they want a vice captain that plays in vegas so that if like cleary or Hines is a late out then they will get a good score and I think Haas will be really, really good in Vegas. And also, he's a really good player. He's a really, really good player. I got no issues with if you want to start with Haas. It's fine. But I think where our issue comes from, and this is what Mark was getting at, is Cleary and Hines probably aren't going to make an enormous amount of money. Haas isn't going to make an enormous amount of money. I think the highest he got last year was like in the nine... Did he even get to 900? He got to 903. So, like, if he if he goes as well as he had that miracle run last year where he got, you know, 65, 62, 65, 70, 73, 77, 66. Through all of that, he only made, what, 70K. It's what you can do with that 880K as opposed to the 65 average that you're going to get at the start of the year it's just, it's hard to, for me to reconcile the two. And although we would all like a 65 scorer, you're probably not going to captain Haas, are you? So what's he really doing in your side other than being a really good number two? I think you can use that cash to, to spread out across your team and make more money rather than starting with this guy who's, you're probably not going to trade out until origin. Um, and he'll get you, he'll get you close to a 65. Well, he might get you a 65 average if everything kicks right. I think he'll probably get settled somewhere in the mid, in the low to mid 60s. But that almost doesn't matter. It's like you need to choose some guys that are undervalued to really, to really nail your team composition and, and this game theory that Mark's talking about. And it just doesn't really make sense paying full freight for two guys for me. Ryan? 
yeah, no, look, similar thoughts. Um, it's uh, You're really relying on the cash generation of the rest of your side. Um, I think maybe some players are filling out their side, looking at to, you know a bit of leftover money and thinking, okay, well, how can I just maximise my points here, which uh, I, like I understand. Um, but like at the same time, like if if that's 300k, like say you're sitting there with a Ruben Cotter with 300k in your bank, and you're like, oh, what can I do with this? I'm going to turn it into paint house. Well, I think maybe there's other ways you could use that money to get similar scoring while also maintaining that value. Like if the difference is say going from a you know, your, your crappy center uh, who's 300k up to someone who's say 550 look you know for example uh Penasini we've railed on about who we think is potentially six points undervalued um and you're getting a keeper you're getting that that difference is the same you know like that 25 point to 30 point center versus the 45 to 50 average center versus you know Ruben Cotter say 50 points going up to Payne Haas at 65 like you're actually getting a bigger bigger spend for your money there if that makes sense yeah and probably spending less less of your cash as well so mm. it's um yeah it's just you know uh, uh, the the hard thing that I'm butting up against with Payne Haas is we've got two conflicting game theory aspects which is taking the high ownership players versus uh searching for value and, and only buying one captain and even trying to get your vice captain having somebody who has a little bit of value. That's where I'm sort of butting up against is, is two sort of conflicting concepts. Uh, but we'll, uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll sort of work our way through that. So in addition to the nine players who were owned by all five teams, there were seven more guys who were in at least three of the teams. And one you will notice that wasn't in the previous list was Captain Cleary. So even though Hines missed round one uh, and a lot of people, every man and their dog was on Cleary, there were people who weren't and the one who didn't go Cleary went for Murray, waited for Cleary to drop and then did the same thing that Lucy's team did and picked him up in round four. So, but, but they didn't start with him. So there is, you know, there's scope there, you know, like maybe you want to start with Payne Haas you know, you think, oh, Payne Haas, he's got a bit of value early in the season before State of Origin. They think they're going to, you know, he's going to work hard and then be rested a bit through Origin and you want to go Payne Haas open with him and then pick up Cleary through that really tough draw that we spoke about. You know, that's a legitimate option and it might bite you on the ass. But, you know, uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, that it, it is a thing. Uh, Braden Trindle was in four teams. Adam Dewey was in three teams. He was just an unmitigated disaster followed by a knee injury. Uh, Pat Carrigan, um, but I note that the two teams that didn't get Pat Carrigan took Tarpany instead for a similar average. And then Smith Shields, Isaac Thompson, Tyrell Sloan, Tommy Talao, and Isaiah Katoa and three teams each. So outside of that, there was a healthy assortment of mid-range, high upside, high ownership players like Jackson Ford, Matt Dory, Trent Liero, Ben murdoch Masilla, Alofiana Camperero, Jacob Preston. Um, and this, uh, you know, it was all, you know, actually, sorry, he got clear in round six, not, not round four. So he got him on the week. He scored the hundred, which is pretty good timing. Pretty goat. Yeah. Goat, goat level play. Cause Cameron Murray in the first five weeks was only one point on average behind Cleary. Um, but then obviously it went downhill pretty fast for Murray and uphill pretty fast for Cleary from there. So, um, 
obviously they, you know, a lot of lot, lot of sort of common themes there is, you know, and that's where you get like this year we got your Brendan Pierre-Cruz, your Seb Chris's, Tavita Totola, Kyle Flanagan, Fletcher Baker, uh, all these type of guys, they're kind of high ownership, high sort of, you know, clear 10 points of value. You don't need to get all of them, but you just need to not have bad options instead is probably maybe, Ryan, a, a better way of saying it. Yeah, essentially. Like you need to make sure if you're uh, going for a different option, it's the, you need to be able to justify it and have, a, you know, be an equally, if not in your mind, a better option. Yeah, yeah, and don't just think like I like that player better. I don't like that player better. That's not a better option. It's you got to have some sort of criteria you're applying there. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, there was a dose of uh, you know cash spent mostly in the forwards, uh, which I include the hooker position in that with Harry Grant, Dave Fafita, Reese Robson, Joe Tarpany, Cameron Murray, all featuring the teams. Interestingly, most of them took a gun wing fullback as well, Tedesco, Drinkwater, Ponga, um, two of which were pretty poor to start the year. So um, a composite look at what that team looked like, you know, just all up. Tanner Boyd, Payne Haas, one of Pat Carrigan and Tarpany, Jermaine Hopgood, Cartwright, Katoa, Captain Cleary, Adam Dewey, Paul Alamotti, Isaac Thompson, Lockie Miller, Will Warbrick, Tyrell Sloan, Brandon Smith, Braden Trindle, Isaiah Katoa, Harley Smith Shields, Tommy Talau, one more cheapie and two guns is is how it sort of filled it out. So um the the sort of the composite team, the way you can look at it is is and this is directly related to something that we speak about as a game theory. You'll notice that a massive number of the players are cheapies, but no team absolutely loaded up on them and overcapitalized on the top end. The sweet spot seems to be about nine or ten guys that are in the 350K or so or less bracket. That said, last year was really, really good for cheapies, but there's a number of guys in the 350 to 400 that you can probably just squeeze into there. Um, There was at least one or two bad picks in every top five side between Tedesco, Matt Burton, Sifa Talakai, Ryan Sutton, Sunia Taruva, and three Adam Deweys that all looked good on paper but just didn't happen to work out for whatever reason. So... You've got to have a reason for you picking them, but know that they won't kill you. And it's okay to be wrong on one player, but just make sure that you swim with the tide and get a lot of the high ownership players with high value potential, which we note in the game theory article. So coming back to that, what we talk about is the team composition and how we actually structure our team, which um, maybe Ryan, uh, obviously, you know, the easy ones out of the way, we try to squeeze four guys sub 300k ideally 250k or less into our emergencies but sort of do you what do you find is kind of you know the other composition like how do you sort of line it up and is there a specific sort of position that you try to target the cheapies versus the uh the more sort of you know underpriced guns we'll call them uh, I think in years past, the centre in the wing fullback position has been typically where you'd, uh, like a lot of people would go for the cheaper options there and look to load up in more of the consistent positions. Um, but for the most part, I think you have to play what comes to you, you know, like you you, you can't, 
you know, like if uh, if you got a fastball, you got Brett Lee steaming in. Um, you got to play differently to how you play Shane Warne, if if that makes sense. So, you know, in, in a year where you've got some guys presenting obvious value, assuming they actually do start round one in, like say Pappenhausen, Jaden Campbell, like it makes far too much sense to spend up a little bit, get that just under five hundred k guy. And look to get a cheapie somewhere else. Um, maybe it is the centers. Maybe it's a forward that comes through. Um, uh, looking to distribute that cash a little bit in, in other areas. Um, but I think typically, like historically, it's usually ended up either being a center or a wing fullback where you end up with a cheapie or two. Yeah, and I mean, Rob, overarching, this is how we boil it down into like the shortest amount of words as possible. Uh, I think you'll agree here. So this is our sort of like, you know, six stop points. Uh, So uh, what I want to know, Rob, is does your team that you have built right now fit this criteria? Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Buy an elite caption option for round one. Yep, I got Cleary. Yep. Uh, Fill your team with five underpriced guns. So we're saying like Crichton? Yeah, he's another price guy. Maybe like Peppenhausen. Yep. Uh, Curran, maybe. Oh, this is yeah, bad signs for Rob. Bad signs, sure, early mate. doors. You're, you're failing. You're failing early. Fogarty. <laughs> yep. I mean, Jaden Campbell, if he starts as a filler, sure, he might be hurt. Bloor, 40s, high 40s. Yeah, maybe. Small mid-ranger, I think. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I probably don't have enough. Um, yeah. But my team is very point. draft. I think my team is very draft. And and uh, look, if every time I've had a podcast with you blokes, I, my team's changed about 15 times. So <laughs> the, the trick is to not be too married to your team at this point in the season, yeah. I think. Stay, stay water. Yeah. Yep. Someone asked me to do a team reveal the other day, and I was like, "Oh no, it's changed like six teams, six it's times since the last time I was on that podcast." Yeah. What, what, All right. What 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 do you think? Who who else are we thinking in terms of underpriced oh, guns? Ruben Cotter. Yeah, Cotter. Yeah, Cotter's a good one. Maybe Reece Moses. Robinson. Yeah, I've, I've I've gone off the boil. Panasini. Yeah, I have. I like Panasini. I like Panasini. Uh, Reese Robson, I think, is an underpriced gun. Of course, yeah. the cheese, the cheese wheel. No, man, don't even get me started on that. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, speaking of the cheese, dot point number three, get as many dual position players as possible. How many dual position players do you have in your team? Um, Curran, uh, Chris, Weeks, Cheese, Wheel, Kotrick. I think is all I have. Oh, Fitella Mariner. Yep. 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 Okay. That's the same six I have, so I won't tease you about that. Yep. Get as many highly owned cash cows as possible. Yeah. So these are all kind of, we're not exactly sure how many there are going to be, but there is the likes of Weeks, uh, Kotrick, one of the Tigers halves, possibly, Sam Hughes, Fletcher Baker, Pierre Cura. Yeah. Chevy Stewart. Chevy, yeah, if we get him. Yeah. Obviously, there's a couple of really highly owned, quote-unquote, cash cows who I don't actually think are going to be cash cows. Ethan Strange. Thing, your heroes and your strangers. Hero. 
Yeah. Xavier Willison's 25% of teams. Ben Trebojevic is in 20% of teams. Not sure about all of that. Jesse Arthurs is a jewel and uh quote, quote unquote, highly owned cash cow, but I have my skepticism there. Same thing with Mav Geyer. Do you reckon um, Jesse Arthurs is this year's Xavier Coates? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. He's giving me those vibes, um, eh? Like, yeah. like a really good player and, and just, oh, yeah. just, just and can't really convert it to fantasy. Mate, in the, right, in the right circumstances, Xavier Coates can be a buy, and we showed that last year when, remember when he got down to like 260K and we called him a buy on the try regression, then he scored like seven tries in four weeks or something <laughs> like that? Yeah. yeah, and we never. Yeah, always happens. Eh? We're so good yeah. at picking the um the fallen gun wing fullback like Ryan with um the felt lord and Felty. Oh, the only surely... one I couldn't believe that we missed was Dallin. I was so dirty that we missed Dallin. I d- I just don't think anyone would have got Dallin. Nah, Do you know who else really. made a stack of cash last year? Adam Pompey. He made like over two hundred k. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a. That's a player goggles one, isn't it? Yeah. Sure. I actually I started an article, the best possible team that you physically could have had last year. I started you doing that. You just wouldn't have made it, right? You just would no, have Oh, you never could have done it. It would have been like trading Dallin after like scoring five tries in two games to Kyle Feld or something like that. Like it was like <laughs> moves that never would have got made. Like Cody Nicarima was like your captain for half the season. Not really, but you know what I mean? Oh, like I st- mid-season trades. How good was he last year, Ryan? Yeah. Oh, it was a rough start, but man, when he kicked on, it was uh, yeah, it was good times. Almost because um, uh, Khan Pereira was a really rough start too. I think he got negatives and got yeah. down. We f- we found out that they could get below two hundred thirty k, which was which was <laughs> <Yeah>. unwrinkled. <laughs> but, but that comes, but that comes back to what you said right at the start of this episode, which is don't panic on the guys and 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 you, sort you of can't panic. Because yeah. he made, he ended up making, I'm just going to have... Like 300k or something. Like he ended up making me 205k. I sold him at 435. You know? Yeah. And after I sold him in round 12. So, like, obviously, I probably didn't start him that many times. But he he did a good job. And he he made... If he'd got another low score, we probably... But but again, he's not going to lose any more money than that. So, it's probably okay yeah. to guy to keep. But it's just... Yeah. I suppose that's your point, isn't it? Is, um Yeah. Exactly. Trades Take are your valuable, time. more valuable than uh, like yeah. points on in your emergencies. Yeah, just d- dump them down there. Let them mature. If they really look, like, if you know, if you got a Tommy Talao in there that's you know just sputtering and doesn't make any money, then you move him on. But you know, like Burn Murdoch Masilla sat there for ages and made a bunch of money for people, even though he sucked. You know, it's okay. Um, on that, it's kind of relevant. It's okay to have an early buy. Um, so you know, teams that have the early buy. Tigers, uh, if, if we get, you know, with the Tigers, there's a couple of guys, if we find out, like, without a shadow of a doubt, Benji comes out after the trials and they're like, Lock and Galvin's our 5'8", or Latufan is our 5'8". We're, going, we're wheels up, we're on, we're all in on him. I'll 100% be starting with that player. Um, also, yeah, same thing if Alex Seyfarth, if there's enough mail there that Alex Seyfarth's going to be the starting lock. We're, we're, we're balls deep on Alex Seyfarth. We're just there, right? Tigers, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, so that's round one. And then we've got the Titans in round two. Jaden Campbell, obviously a bit of nervousness around him. One thing I'm really interested to have a look at, I don't know if you remember two years ago, Harry Grant was suspended for round one, but a lot of teams started with him anyway. Um, I think it was, was it? to an injury though, I think. Yeah, but I mean, he's just, yeah, I don't know. Keanu Keeney, he's a bit sort of sad. The other thing's going to be if it is Keeney in round one, 
do, do we start with him as a cheapy? Because he's, I mean, he's, you know, sort of interesting. Where is he at? No, I think I'd need some I'd fullback. Need some, what, uh, how long is he going to be there, though? Like I, All the mailers, Campbell's going to be there around three, right? But but what about if he just absolutely blitzes in the trial and then the Titans just decimate the team in round one and Keeney's the man of the match? Like, you don't know. Like, so... So what? Yeah, do we, how do we deal with that? Do we do we just not get just him in a, round one, even if he's named? I suppose we'll deal with that when we get there. I um, suppose that's that's it, it is a good time to take a risk like that in round one because it's only going to cost you a trade if he yeah. gets um, benched in round three. But yep. it's still yeah. risky. Uh, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Ryan, you're awfully Dino. quiet. Yeah. Do, do, do you have a strong? Uh, do you have a strong opinion on any uh, Titans players in particular, or? Um, yeah, mate, David Fafita, get him in. No, uh, <laughs> get him in. Gotta be Tino. Uh, yeah, to be honest, I've been uh, searching high and low looking for a uh, any Titans player really to get in my side because their draw to start the year is just so delicious. It's, um, yeah, it, it's a shame that Fafita's got this injury and Campbell's got this injury because they start the year like not including the buy. They've got the Dragons, Bulldogs, Dolphins, Cowboys, Raiders, Manly. Like, it's, it's hardly murderers row there, is it? No, exactly. Do you... and- how many minutes do you think Tino's going to play this year? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it could end up being the same situation as Payne Hearts where he's playing like 60-ish to begin the year, like 60 to 70 to begin the year, but then when Origin kicks in, he's suddenly getting the odd like 50-minute game here and there. Um, we got, we've got him at 60 on the website. But the question, the thing is with Payne Haas is Payne Haas's points per minute skyrocketed last year because their team was so much better. And if you think that's going to happen, Tino is a perfect candidate for something like that. So Tino's 60 minute plus average last year was 63. Yeah. But, uh, but we're not talking about 60 plus minutes. We're talking about an average of 60 minutes, which is not the same thing. Okay. So his, if he forget in games where he played at least 60 minutes, his average was 63 points. Sure, but we're not talking about at least 60 minutes. We're talking about 60 minutes. So it might be 55 to 69 minutes a game on average or something Yeah, right. Like okay. So if if you if you filter it to over 50 minutes, you still get an average minutes of 63 minutes yeah. for 59 points, which is yeah. roughly that- break-even. Yeah. yeah, see, that's kind of where I'd be sitting there. Like, but you But you look at his progression, Tino – you filter him 55, really to 69, start, 55 to 69 minutes playing either front row or lock the last three years in a row. So 14 games in 2021, 46.1 average. 14 games in 2022 under that criteria, 52.7 average. So he went up by six and a half points a game. And then last year, same criteria, 58.2 in 12 games. So he went from 46 to 52 to 58 in three years under the same minutes criteria. So PPM 0.76 to 0.84 to 0.93. So, I mean, you know, does he have another gear? This is a question because he's still pretty young. He's only 24 or something like that, I'm pretty sure. Um so yeah, maybe he's got a maybe he's got another gear. Ryan is just he's twenty three. He's Ryan's just sitting there right now, just deleting his entire team to fit Tino in. I can I can feel it coming out of the, the microphone. So but <laughs> so and then the last dot point overall here is is pods are more often than not overrated. 
and you know maybe that's a good segue to that because Ryan's looking going through that the OAs. He's going on two point four percent Tino eh? Going oh. straight through the desert. He stumbled upon the uh, the Mirage Oasis Tino in the desert, and um, we're trying to bring him back. So the reason why we say that pods are overrated, and pod for anyone who doesn't know what that means, it's a point of difference. So it's a player who is a low ownership that you believe is going to be a, a positive uh, force to your team compared to other teams that don't have him. Um, so we did a lot. We've got a little sort of four-way matrix here of uh, succeed, fail, you buy, you don't buy. Um, and basically the whole idea, if you buy a pod, he succeeds and you buy him, that's good. Uh, but if he succeed, if you buy him and he fails, obviously that's bad and it's particularly bad because no one else owns that player versus if it's a high ownership player, he succeeds. That's also good. But if he fails, it's fine because everybody else has got him, like Brandon Smith, right? So if you, if instead of Brandon Smith, you were buying Toby Sexton, Adam Dewey, you know, Adam, De- or, you know, whatever, what even Adam Dewey was high ownership in the top no, team. I think he was like eight or nine percent. Yeah, um, but if you, I think if you filter that to teams that came in the top five thousand, he would have been way up there. Maybe. Remember, he was looking undervalued. You don't buy him, he succeeds. That's kind of bad, but you don't buy him and he fails, then that's really good. But, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, your risk to rewards sort of not really as good there with the the, the pods versus the, uh, the high ownership players. It really just protects the downsides more what it is. So for anyone who's ever done any share trading, if, you know, if someone said, oh, look, I'll sell you these shares and... They're definitely not going to go down in price, but they might go up in price a lot. Like, you know, by they might double in price versus if someone said to you, oh, here's some shares. They could be worth nothing in six months from now or they could triple in price. You'd take the ones that definitely wouldn't go down that we're going to double in price every single time, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, it's about risk mitigation, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. t- choosing where to take your risks and um, knowing that you don't have to take a risk on every single player in your side. Yeah. Exactly right. So given given that, is is there an argument to just start with Payne House anyway? But what's the upside? The the up the up I, I suppose it's similar to oh, well, I guess the, the Brandon Smith one there was a little bit of value, wasn't there? So uh, best case scenario he might have averaged like tickled fifty, whereas like the best case scenario for Haas is what four or five points extra if he, like, absolutely brains it coming out the game. Yeah, yeah well, like, listening to uh, the debate thing that, Mark, you did with Jamie Brown the other day and Jamie was uh, on the positives for Payne Haas and, like, he, the point he kept on going to was um, how well Payne starts, um, which which is fairly true. Like, the last two years, he's been an absolute jet out the gates. So I think maybe, like, that's the upside you're hoping for, that, like, he comes out in the first, you know, 10 rounds and he's averaging high 60s. But again, like that's like Rob said, it's like four points. If uh, you know, if you're getting there, and then you're going to want to sell him when Origin kicks on. Yeah, obviously the the big issue here is you know like what with the uh, conserving trades point that we sort of spoke about earlier. The big thing is the uh, 
Payne Haas has got such a, you know, a strong buy schedule in terms of I think he's got 13 and 19 and then like 22 or something like that. You're not going to be selling him over that origin period anyway because we got like you need players in those off weeks. And at that point, everybody's burned through, you know, 15 of their 36 trades or whatever for the year. And we're going to be telling people to save trades that aren't unnecessary, unnecessary trades. So, you know, at, the, at that point, you kind of, you're going to talk yourself into having him all year, which is fine. But if you're not getting any value out of it because he ends up averaging out, then, you know, you, you haven't gained anything. And like my big concern with him is if the Broncos are worse and his PPM drops, but his minutes stays the same, and we get a 2022 season instead of a 2023 season where you got to remember the Broncos were top four for a long time in 2022 before eventually dropping out of the eight. If we get one of those seasons where Payne Haas's PPM is one and he's playing 60 minutes and you're paying 64 break even for a guy that averages 58, you're going to be real pissed off. And there's like the upside's not there unless you have the discipline to sell him, which you're not going to have. It's just the opportunity cost day, eh? I think. You know, what, like that scenario sort of reminds me of is people uh, with Cam Murray last year, like when he started to score a 47 oh, and like they were tearing their hair out. Do you, do you remember? Do you remember? And you how couldn't sell him. You can't sell him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly right. And like if we were in a situation, I, I would get it if we we're in a situation like last year where we had a massive amount of outside backs and or the mid didn't reveal these options, you know, you Tavita Totola, Josh Curran, Ruben Cotter, Brandon Smith, Raymond Vitala Mariners, the five mids that I've got in my team at the moment. There's an argument there for Fletcher Baker and there's some potential other options that might come up. You know, if it wasn't for those guys, then maybe we could have a look at it. But even then, it's bad game theory principle to be buying a player that's just coming off their best ever season with a ludicrous PPM that's unrepeatable, particularly on the minutes, off a team that, like overperformed, just lost a massive like a number of their players. They've they've lost three starters and replaced them with guys that they already had at the club, which means that they're 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 a worse team overall. And you know, it just and the, one of the players that they lost was a nut, like a player that Payne Haas relied on. Fleg Flegler was doing so much of the dirty work, the like tough stuff through the middle, allowing Payne Haas to play off the back of that like the third hit up where the defenders are gassed and they've just had two Queensland state of origin hero middle forwards running at them. And now they get Lardy da New South Wales latte sipping Payne Haas, you know, running at the James Maloney on the edge. I just, I'm really concerned that we're going to see like a 57 in 60 minute season from Payne Haas. That's my, I think problem. it's, I think it's going to be similar to Hines in that it, he front loads his points a lot. And he does really well to start the year. He's he's going to do well in Vegas, I think, and and he'll do well to start. And that might like vindicate the people that start with him. But I I think I agree with you across the course of the season, Mark. And it will be hard not owning him. I think in those first few rounds, but we'll kind of just have to think like over the course of the season, we'll probably be right, and we'll have to drink our little you know humble pie. They'll have to eat their humble pie later. But I I think. I think he will start hot, hot. It's just there won't be a there won't be a good time to sell him if he does start to fall off. I'll tell you what, though, if Mark's scenario comes true where he's averaging like fifty-seven or something, we'll be all on him in twenty twenty-five. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, mate, I'm here for value. It's just there's none with Payne Haas. 
Yeah. The value is probably the the value is probably getting a mid that you can keep for the whole season that will be a top one slash two mid after Tino. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'd be more. In, I think I'd be more inclined to get Jermaine Hopgood than I would be to get Paint Haas. Did you just say Tino? No, I didn't. <laughs> T. Yeah, no, I really like I really like Hopgood as well. I I know it, it doesn't sit well with the pod stuff that we were talking about earlier, but. Nah, Tino. The more Hopgood's people keep saying Tino, the, the more people keep saying Tino, the more I'm really interested in him. Hopgood's not even really a pot. He's 11.6. Yeah. No, that's high enough ownership to wheels up. Yeah. To be honest, the one guy, if I was going to like get a like positional gun that uh, you know is a vice captaincy option that may have some value, it's Harry Grant. And the reason why I say this is the last three games of the season, 59, 66, and 53 minutes he played. So you get other, than that, slight, other than that, he was a 70-plus minute player. So he averaged 57, but if you take out those three games right at the end of the season where the Storm had already made the finals and they were just conserving him, he averaged 59. So there's at least two points of value there. You're getting a 59 average player. You've seen the upside. Melbourne Storm, great team, great player. You know, similar sort of situation. Um, yeah, that that's the way I would go, I think, if I was going to get a gun vice-captain and try to squeeze a bit of value out. Yeah. Uh, look, look, I agree. Um, it, and it's, uh, I mean, it, it might even be a similar situation to Payne Haas where he... Um, where you're going to have to keep him for the rest of the season if you if you buy him because, I mean, he's got a similarly good uh, buy schedule. Like, he's got to buy in round four, and other than that, it's 13 and 19. Um, but you're sort of playing that same game where you're going to get a lot of good scores to begin the year, maybe, and maybe after Origin. But then, like around like that round fourteen, like the you know the weeks directly after Origin, maybe it gets a little bit of a rest. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I, I guess it, it's easier to cop when you're paying a hundred k less. Yeah, exactly right. And you know, I just I just use my last little war chest here. I just turned Kyle Flanagan into Harry Grant. Wheels up. <laughs> nice. Done. Put Flanagan back in, mate. Nah. nah what do you do I need to you? Yeah. Oh, just he gave me the stink eye, mate. Just don't like his don't like his bag. Don't like his dad. Uh, oh no, nah, I like Flanagan. He's all right. I think he's gonna be good for the good for the draggies. They're still gonna come last, but he'd be good for them. Uh, they won't to, be um, they won't be last in twenty twenty five. Yeah, that's it. I listened to Flano on SENZ actually. Well SEN, SEN we call it SENZ, whatever. Um but he was talking about how they actually brought him in to play utility, Flano. Yeah, yeah. And the way that their halves dilemma has gone, he's just had to play in the halves. So yeah, yeah. I wonder if there's um some some he might he might dip back to playing nine later in the season, but um, yeah, what a diabolical team the Dragons are. Yeah, now I won't I won't take this opportunity to trash the Dragons. You know I love to trash the Dragons, trash the Dragons, but Clint stuck with us trash, for an hour. Trash the Dragons, eh? Yeah, good uh, good friend of the show, Clint. He stayed with us for an hour, so I'll just uh, I'll, I'll stay away from him. There you go. <laughs> you're well, you're Sorry, welcome. Clint. Um, so a couple of, couple of last little bits here. Um, one thing we spoke about earlier is, uh, choosing the right risks to take. So, you know, when we're talking about what risk we take and what risk we don't take. So for an example, I highlighted, um, 
2022, I decided to start with Angus Crichton and Captain M instead of starting with Payne Haas or Nathan Cleary and captaining them. Uh, so 2022, round one, Angus Crichton, 47. I remember sitting there and getting really angry about his demerits. And then Payne Haas got an 85 that week and everybody was jumping on Haas and captaining him. Um, so he jumped up 120. The person, This is the person that come number one overall, uh, Captain Payne Haas in round one, got an 85 or I got a 47. So he took 120-point lead on me, uh, you know, straight up one week from the captaincy, which just obviously is, uh, you know, Crazy, whereas uh, last year I just went straight for Nathan Cleary, as did the eventual winner. Um, his team started 87 points better than mine because he didn't get that 40-point bump on the, the captaincy in round one. So th- well, I guess the, the larger point is, you know, there's no need to gamble on your number one scorer, get your gun captain, captain them. The high ownership, Cleary makes it really easy this year. But um Obviously, outside of being Bradbury, I actually was coming like in the top 25 all the way up until round 10 and then the top 200 all the way to round 21 by sort of focusing on a lot of these game theory things before I ran out of trades. So, um, you know, it's important to identify the uh, previous data rather than the gut feel and then apply the eye test as long as you've got a statistical backing to it is is sort of how I've sort of worded it, I guess. So uh, a perfect example is the juxtaposition between Sean Johnson and Katoni Staggs last year. So uh, obviously Sean Johnson, boys, we fond, fondly remember jumping on Sean Johnson and riding him all the way up to a massive average of like 64. Uh, but you may not remember that uh, Ryan Katoni Staggs scored 66 and 59 in rounds three and four and a different podcast, not named NRL fantasy amateurs. Um, I believe they have discussions about rugby. Um, we're really excited about Katoni Staggs. Um, but after those two 66 and 59, uh, he only got 53 more times after round four. So how would you, sort of look at for for somebody who maybe is newer and even maybe some older players, the list of questions that I've got here, and I'll maybe just expand on this a little bit, would be the questions to ask yourself is how many points has the player increased their historical performance by? What statistical areas are they performing better? And is that statistical area something predictable or not? Slash, is it just an inflated try scoring average that's due to naturally regress? So is that is that sort of a similar process to what you go through when you're trying to work out if a mid-season player is a real or a mirage? Yeah, look, I think um, to the most part I agree with all that. I think the word I would use is sustainable. Like is what uh, has happened over that little short sample something that's materially different like has there been a role change than what we expected um or it, was there something that we missed in the preseason that we didn't necessarily expect like i think one for sean johnson was maybe we we didn't expect the warriors to be as good as they were we didn't expect um him to be basically doing every single one of the kicking i mean we we touched on that i, I think in the warriors pod last year but i don't think we maybe ex- expected it to the extent that we got so like there was a clear role change there the warriors were clearly better than what um 
we were expecting versus like an outside back putting up of like a few attacking stats in over a two week course isn't necessarily something that's out of uh, out of the norm. Like that's in, in fact that's fairly normal for an outside back to you know occasionally have a couple of games where they put up a big amount of attacking stats and then they just go back to normal. So um, I, I think that's the key difference. There is trying to predict, like trying to find that role change, and is what's changed um, sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Rob, on the flip side of that. Um, as well, we obviously successfully managed to identify a couple of players that were in slumps last year. Kyle Felt, Xavier Coates, for example. Uh, so same thing as the uh, the upside stuff in sustainability. You know, we're looking at how many points does the player decrease their average Y and what areas are they decreased in? Is it something predictable like run meters and tackles or is it just a uh, deflated try scoring rate that's due to naturally increase slash, you know, short version of it is, are they due? You know, is is, is that a sort of, uh, you know, in ter- particularly in terms of outside backs, we find it really, really easy. And is there sort of an equivalent that you would use for like a a forward? <sighs> forward's hard, isn't it? Because it's, uh, uh, forwards are really all about minutes. And then because the PPM tends to be fairly consistent. Um mm. Maybe the rib the rib cartilage injury or something like that. Rib cartilage is a really good one. Like with with cheese, we knew that was kind of a ticking time bomb with with his ribs. Um, yeah, it's it's tough, isn't it? I I suppose it's um, yeah, it might be like an injury an injury affected game where they lose like a little bit and then they come back with a really high break even, so you kind of get a free look and then it's like you know that for the rest of the season they're going to be an 80-minute edge or they're going to have X amount of minutes. Um, it's just really what Ryan said. It's looking for that predictability and consistency. Um, I, I think Ponga was a good option, a good example last year maybe of where we knew once he went to the back he'd be an absolute fill-up um, and we all kind of got on as soon as we could when he dipped all the way down to 400K. Um, I don't really think that happens as much with forwards because – yeah, they have to go through a real slump or they have to have like several really low minute games and that doesn't tend to happen as much with with forwards. But yeah, it would be looking for those kind of um looking at the yeah, the inner office here has got really good data on how long injuries take and what kind of impact it has on their performance. Um so I'd yeah, I'd be looking at that kind of stuff. Yeah, the perfect one's like the the really early game HIA or something like that, where like they play that's, like that's true. What, yep. one minute for one point, they're out for a week or two and they come back, they drop a bunch of cash and they're like a 650, 700K player in the mid 500s. Like that's like the really, the really easy it's one. Although sure sometimes they don't bounce back. Yeah, they don't bounce back. Yeah, it's just making sure you've got cash to do that kind of trade as well. Um, mm. And whether it's worth sacrificing the player that you're trading out because chances are they have some cash to make as well. So yeah. that's the kind of thing to think about in your game theory as well is that when you trade someone out, you're kind of – and you want you want that 10 points of value, you, you kind of have to deduct the possible cash generation that that person would get as well, mm. you know? So yeah, it's not so just it's, a it's- straight up. It's not a straight-up trade of 10 points. There could be, you know, a little bit each way. Yeah. So they really need to be making 100 to 150K more cash than the cash that the player would have made at their peak before you traded them 
So and sometimes like if, you, if you sell a guy people, early with 50k left, you need to be making 200k on that new player to make it work. Otherwise, it doesn't work, sort of thing. Yeah, and sometimes it's fine going early if someone's coming towards the end of their cash cow status. I know Ryan's a big fan of going. You'd rather go a week early than a week late, which I think I agree with. Especially if you're chasing someone with a really low break even, that's going to make a stack of cash that one week, and you kind of have to get on that week or nothing. Um, mm. But it's the guy that's yeah, it's the it's the one that like could come back and burn you if they yeah if they haven't if they do not make a lot of cash um, in the future. So, what what do you guys think? Last one I want to bring up. Um, it's obviously, yeah, like we, we actually mentioned the rib cartilage return from ACL, et cetera. You know, last one I want to bring up is the starting with a round one red dot. So not even including the, uh, so we said earlier, like early buys are actually okay and early red dots are okay. And the idea behind that's pretty simple. It's that, uh, round one, you, you have the clearest idea of how many green dots you're going to have. You know your players are playing. They don't have any injuries they're carrying. They don't have any late change. Very rare for teams to make late changes in round one. Normally they're sort of straight bat. Some coaches are straight bat all the time, but round one particularly, it's usually pretty up and down. Um, what The reason why I'm asking these, particularly a guy like Seb Chris. Seb Chris, Chris has a pretty clear value. He's a jewel. He's a cash cow. Tough position. Um, 0.8% of teams at the moment. I feel like that should be uh, a lot higher. Um, how do you feel about the round one red dot? Ryan, maybe start with you. Uh, situationally, I think it can work. Like you mentioned Harry Grant in 2022. Um, he was suspended for round one uh, and he was still in quite a quite a number of teams. I remember we did a preseason pod. I think it was me, you and Shane maybe or one of the previous fantasy winners. And um, – you and you and him were pretty adamant on starting with Grant round one, um, even though he was out. And I was at the time, I was like, "I'm not starting with a red dot. That's silly." Um, but uh, if you cast your mind back to 2022, uh, it was the year where we all had Isaac Tongo as a cash cow, um, and a lot of people didn't have him in their scoring 17. I had him sitting at 18, and he scored a 61 in round one of 2022. And at that moment, I pivoted to Harry Grant, brought him in just so I could get that 61 out of Isaac Tungo. So sometimes it does make sense where, like, if you've got a, uh, a guy with high upside sitting at 18 who can put out a big score and they put in a big score round one, um, sometimes it makes sense just for that reason. Get a get someone in that you mm. think was a buy, but maybe you were tossing up them and somebody else. Um, but, like, if it makes sense to buy them and it also nets you a 60-point game sitting in your emergencies otherwise, um, I, I think in that situation it definitely can make sense. Yeah, And I think the issue is going to be because we're going to probably be carrying one or possibly even two Tigers. Can we really afford three possible red dots in round one? Well, if you're going to do it, round one's the week to do it. Yeah, exactly. But You also have uh, the opportunity of doing like a little... um, going to happen as much. Well, I was going to I was actually just going to say you got a really good opportunity for a nice little loop theory there. Particularly like if we see Ben Turbo... Named on the edge in round one for Manly, given he's playing Vegas, you might start with Ben Turbo, put him in your eighteen, and then you know you might have a a Seb Chris, and then if Ben Turbo doesn't go well, you might stop Seb, swap Seb Chris out for a Moses Suli or something like that. Shimmy got the cash there, or or a Chotty Nick Chotrich, mm-hmm. uh, depending on depending on what your team looks like. 
um, you know, something like that. So, yeah, just stay water and be be sort of ready to to take advantage of those options. But I'm sure we'll sort of get there when we when we get there. Um, I think that's probably a good uh, all up thing. Obviously, just um, probably the only other thing is this is maybe more for newer players, but relevant for for existing players is what's the criteria for picking a player uh, for cash cow? Ten points uh, of value. Yeah, 10 points. Uh, Mid-ranger, probably around there, maybe eight or higher. And then for an underpriced gun, probably four to five plus. Yep, that's it. Yep, and easiest way to identify players who have value, Rob, this this is the little list that we've got here, is uh, changing team for an increased opportunity, uh, moving from the bench to a starting role, particularly 80 minutes due to the departure or retiring of a player, shift in responsibility, more or less kicking, goal kicking, etc. Players returning from injury where they had games cut short, uh, underperformed last year off significant injury, scoring less tries than normal, etc. Is there any sort of other things or do you think that's a pretty good cover off? No, I think that's I think that covers off most of them. Um, that's kind of how we got Trindle last year was with Hines being out. Um, yep. And yeah, Bryce cut right into an eighty-minute role. I think yeah, Tanner Boyd um, getting a lot of kicking meters, being the number seven there. I, I think always start with a Titan seven. Is that is that on your list or? Yeah. Yeah. Good. 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 Yeah. No, that's it, it's mate. Game, that's that. Game, that all sounds game. good. I think that's game theory article number seven thousand negative seven thousand two hundred and sixteen. Yeah, you got to start with yeah. uh, Sexton. You got to start with Tanner Boyd. Yeah, no material differences. Does Fogarty count? I feel like Fogarty counts. He's yeah, he's, he's close not, enough. Always a Titan, eh? Yeah, yeah. He had his best season as a Titan. So yeah, best we'll season so far. So far, yes, lovely, cool. Any uh, any closing game theory thoughts, Rob? Before we switch off. No, I'm just really looking forward to some footy, eh? It's really hard just yep. looking at uh, stats and not looking at any footy. I kind of just want a team. I want to make some mistakes. I want to make some, get some things right. Um, can't wait. Cool. Good stuff. Ryan, any any thoughts for you? No, look, it's, I think it's it's a long preseason. We're finally starting to get to the end. And um, I think uh, as we're going to touch on it, maybe some future podcasts, just uh, stay the course. Don't get uh, too overwhelmed by all the mirages out there. Yep. Yep. Real real a mirage. It's coming up soon. I uh, should probably get off my ass and organise the NRL physio again. I haven't done that yet. I'll get that <laughs> sorted. I'm going to talk Lovely. injuries. Worst case scenario, I'll just wrangle another physio off the street and we talk to them. See how we go. <laughs> Perfect. We just call it the uh, generic physio podcast instead of the NRL physio podcast. Now, all right, good stuff. Thanks for joining us, guys. Good, correct information as usual. Lots, lots of really good information tonight. I really hope people take uh, advantage of some of the tips here. Maybe come back and listen to this again uh, in between TLT and uh, kickoff, and really sort of focus in on on what's gone down. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. Good work. Check out the website, www.amateursfantasysports.com slash NRL. If you want this one, it's slash game theory as well. Uh, buy us a coffee slash beer if you uh, like the podcast. If you want to throw a lazy uh, hundo on, you know, pickle bet, code amateurs, do that responsibly. And, um, yeah, don't forget Join to jump the overall the, league. Overall league, the Facebook, the Discord, the Instagram, the Twitter, the TikTok. 
the you know what there's a million other things. Check it all out. Jump into draft league as well. Try something different. Uh, we've got some draft rankings. Uh, if you want to look at that, you can see all of our projections on one page, uh, which is super duper helpful. I need to update it. Uh, we're doing some QA stuff too, uh, which we'll probably touch on. Uh, and yeah, that's it. No worries. Good stuff. Thanks for joining us. Rob and Ryan, correct information as always. We'll see you next time. Love you guys. This show was brought to you by a good friends at Picklebet. You can support the show by changing your regular bookmaking provider to Picklebet and using the code AMATURES on your first deposit to let them know where we found you. Make sure to set a deposit limit because chances are you're about to lose. For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au.